0: This is Jason Cast. This is Scott Neerman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. i tell you what, Scott. This business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. That
1: is why we started this podcast called N.P.
0: Local. Hello, local listeners. This is Scott Nierman with N.P. Local, where we are here for you. And we are here today while Cass is on vacation. Uh, I'm going solo again, and we are here to pull those nuggets of wisdom uh, from some uh, experienced nonprofit folks, and uh, we're just proud to have you as a local listener. So thank you for the work you do in your communities, and I hope that this next 20 minutes or so is going to be helpful as you uh, learn the profession, grow in the profession, and get better at nonprofit management and fundraising. We have a real treat today. A friend of mine from right here in the same county, uh, Ms. Sandy Bird. Um, So I'm going to introduce Sandy uh, real briefly, but let her share more about her experience here for most of this episode. Uh, Sandy has a very impressive uh, resume, and uh, I'm just proud to call her a friend. Uh, we work together in the local uh, Association of Fundraising Professionals organization, and uh, I've learned a lot from her just in our few interactions. Sandy is a 45-year veteran of the nonprofit and fundraising world. Uh, she has worked in the past for Second Harvest Food Bank, or America's Second Harvest, as many of you may know, Callaway Gardens Foundation in Atlanta, or outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and um, some years ago, and most notably, for Habitat for Humanity International. Sandy served under the founder of Habitat, Millard Fuller, and his wife Linda, and worked alongside President Jimmy and his wife Rosalind Carter uh, in Georgia, Uh, for eight years, and she's also served now, coming back to Habitat recently, still working in the profession, uh, served another eight so far with our local chapter. And so, Sandy, without further ado, uh, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm proud to be on this a podcast and, and talk to folks that are in the, their beginning or in the middle of their careers and talk about um, some of the things that I've experienced that might help. I
0: think you'll have wonderful stories and, and pieces of information. And so our listeners, you know, we have no particular focus except the fact that I want to uh, remind you about the Certified Fundraising Executive creten- credential, which I hold, and the Advanced Certified Fundraising Executive credential, which Sandy has held since 2000. And so, uh, just so you know, that that means that Sandy is smarter than I am on all of these topics we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> just older. <laughs> so, thank you so much for for coming on. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about? Uh, about your background, or maybe what's your favorite part of that sure. little brief resume I mentioned was?
1: Well, you know, it's 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 interesting when I think back when I started uh, my career in fundraising in the in the mid seventies. It was a whole different thing. Um, most of the organizations were known as charities, and people were expected to give part of their money to charities and. We, there wasn't, wasn't really a lot of accountability. It was just uh, name recognition uh, was the main thing you, you based on uh, getting the money uh, from people to, to, to support you. And it's, it's totally changed. It's changed in many, many good ways. Um, uh, we all have to be much more accountable now. People wanna know how you spend their money, what you do with their money when they give it to you. They wanna know what you're gonna be doing. Uh, what are your projects? What are the impacts, as we were talking earlier, what are the impacts on the community? So as I started my career, um, uh, again, it was it was uh, a job that I pretty much fell into, which a lot of people do in fundraising. i had been on uh, local boards and the community activities and garden clubs and all the things that young uh, married women do when their children are small. And I wanted to do more and I wanted to find something to do. And I sort of fell into a, a position that was... Uh, that I really really enjoyed and uh, over the years I've you know honed my skills and special events and plan giving and major gifts and all the things that you have to do uh, but my favorite is working just one-on-one with people uh, to help them and, and the one thing I think I learned the most from habitat was that um, the people that give are as much a beneficiary as the people who they
0: great point help
1: with their gifts uh, people find so much fulfillment in volunteering and working with habitat and doing something special and that that was really an eye-opener for
0: me absolutely well i and i would share that love you know it's the people you meet um uh so many of them that are so generous and and of the you know if you're in a human service organization the clients who are um so thankful and and we know, yeah, that, yes, we know that we know that some aren't that way but the vast majority you know just reminds you in fact i told um some some very treasured supporters of the organization where i work uh, just last week i said i just really appreciate you when when i have the chance to work with folks like you it just restores your faith in humanity you know whatever's on the news
1: it does it does
0: <laughs> so so what drives you then for these 45 years being in in fundraising um You said you kind of stumbled into it like many of us do, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, and I, of course, um, I, I think every year about retiring (laughs) and I think about dropping back and all, and I just can't give it up because it's just, it means so much to me personally. Um, it has meant so much to me. And the other thing that I would say about fundraising today is that it's all about collaboration and partnerships. Right. Um, we had an event this past week, the first time event that we had for a very targeted audience, we had a picnic and we invited a very targeted audience of people who have been generous to us. And we asked them to join a group that is, is our what we call consider our major donors. And we did this with a collaboration with a local farm that's a foundation that helps people who are just out of incarceration or just out of rehab, and they teach them job skills. And they prepared our lunch and they had a part of the program talking about what their program is all about. And it was just so, um, our guests loved it. They loved hearing about Habitat. They knew they were coming to hear about Habitat, but they also loved hearing about this partnership and what what we were gonna be doing in their area and how this organization had affected um, the people in your the, in surrounding areas. So partnerships are so, so right, important. Right,
0: right. Well, you know, we've been talking a lot. You mentioned uh, impact just a minute ago in the last couple of episodes, uh, Jason and I have done, have been on GuideStar's charting impact rubric and really just a guide for communicating impact. And I made the point that really this could be a, a precursor to strategic planning and kind of that reflection, or it could Absolutely. be a summary of the outcomes of that. Planning session, but it's a short, user-friendly document. Um, what are some ways, or what are some stories that you tell from from any of your past experiences that that show that impact or the partnerships that you're talking about?
1: Oh, well, let's see. Well, I I think as far as the the impact, and that's one thing about habitat. It's very clear what the impact is. That's another good, uh, uh, another uh, valuable thing about habitat. Houses built we can show the impact. Well,
0: People with a home.
1: Right, right people who have and now we're a big part of our program and a lot of people don't know this is repairs we get grants and we make repairs for elderly homeowners who already own their home but in order to stay in it they need some changes made they may need a ramp built outside so they can their homes more accessible they may need their kitchen adapted in certain ways they may need the halls widened for a wheelchair so we go in there and we help them fix their homes and they get to stay where, they, where they've where they been for the last thirty four years with the same wow. neighbors. And they don't have to think about moving in with family or they don't have to think about moving into a nursing home. Um, so it's very valuable in that. And, again, that shows the impact there is that the community is right. better off. Those homes are in better shape. Those neighborhoods Some are in better shape. Some communities don't have fixed.
0: assisted living, right, yeah. or they don't have the, the place. So if you didn't do that, the individual may have to relocate, not just with family, but even out of the community, right?
1: Absolutely. And they stay right where they are and they, where their church is, where their, their, their community is, uh, there's their connections. So
0: today habitat, just curious because, uh, my father served on the local habitat board, uh, where I'm from in the Midwest. (laughs) And, um, I'm curious uh, if this is an old figure or a new figure. I have a figure here, 1500 affiliates in more than 70 countries. Is that
1: that's, that's, that's pretty close it varies day to day but that's that's okay. pretty correct i know it's over seven okay countries.
0: okay it's amazing and yeah. and are those yeah. I'm, those are communities small and large much like our listeners would be situated in in, in the city uh in small towns in wealthy yes. areas and poor areas is that right
1: yes it's interesting because there were 1800 when i was at international okay. in the 90s and it's gone down it's gone down because affiliates are, are partnering and are coming together. You know, there may be, uh, joining counties where, uh, the one county the affiliate has just, um, volunteer, uh, staff and the other county has a little bit more, um, staffing, but there's more property available in the second county. So they yes. collaborate and they move together and they form a better habitat. I
0: think that's wonderful. So
1: the numbers can go back. I don't,
0: I don't know how many uh, past episodes you've listened to, I won't put you on the spot, but one of the themes <laughs> that I hope our, maybe our regular listeners have noticed is that I, uh, I've shared in a couple of episodes that I have talked myself out of consulting gigs. You know, I consult on the side and um, yeah. I've talked myself out of those whenever I think someone's going to, uh, one of the things I do is start up organizations and help with the small startup. You know, my, I right. do have a heart for that smaller entity Whereas, you know, I work full-time for a larger organization, and you work for an international yes. uh, organization, uh, you know that these small ones would, would not survive without their donors, their active, active board, and their volunteers. Um, so I have a heart for that, but I, um, I get concerned when somebody wants to build or form another cancer charity. When there might be one doing the same thing providing gas cards for people for treatment right down the road and when somebody wants to form another animal rescue when there's a worthy locally funded organization or um, maybe a a humane society right there in their in their same community or city and so i kind of talk myself out i talk them out of it you know it costs me a cup of coffee (laughs) because i usually treat them for a cup of coffee out right out the gate Uh, but you know, how do you feel about that? What's your philosophy on that, that uh, there's just so many organizations? Well, again, I,
1: yeah. And, and, you know, and, and usually if you ask them, they can tell you what makes them feel unique, but they may not really be unique. And that whole thing I was talking about is collaborating or partnerships. Um, many, many of our donors, well, they want forces to to come together, but they will encourage us to come together by the way they give to us. Right. So so even if you feel strongly that you've got something that really you know doesn't need to be um, joined with anything else, um, often we could be we can be, con- we can be uh, convinced that that's the case. Uh, and I see that more and more this, these days. It used to be much harder because people were very. Um, close about what they want to do and how they yeah. want to do it. And I think people are more and more understanding the fact that if they do partnership, all the good things about each one of whatever those organizations are can really develop by being together and by collaborating together.
0: You know, I think one of the things that some organizations are scared of when it comes to partnership is like you mentioned, hosting your fundraiser on the site of another nonprofit, you know, Oh, that's competition. Yes. We're going after the same dollar. And, you know, my, it's it's a real basic example that I use, but it's it's a picture of a pie, right? Is this, is this a fixed pie or can we grow no. the pie of, of philanthropy and charitable giving? And I like to speak to that idea that this is not a fixed pie. If we turn people on to yes. giving and investing in their community organizations that are showing impact, that that pie grows. And maybe one member of, of the marriage is... Uh, interested in giving, and, and he or she is the giver, uh, whereas others, um, you know, are going to hold that a little more tight-fisted. But but if they're there at an event together, maybe he's interested in the in the organization that you hosted at, and she's going to continue to give to Habitat, and, and so they have that healthy conversation. Could Absolutely. be an interesting conversation. We don't know how that goes in folks' <laughs> homes, right?
1: <laughs> well, the the other thing that I usually bring up is is think about it. You know, if somebody says that to me, I say, okay, tell me this. When you, when you make a gift, you always make it to the same thing. Do you only make one gift a year to one organization? I know I don't, I can, I, I support several organizations because I believe in a lot of different organizations. I may give one a little bit more than I right. give another, but no, I don't know anybody that gets to just one organization. If you're a giver, you're right. a giver and you will give to many That's places. That's right.
0: You find it when, when we move them and we demonstrate the impact and we tell the story, um, some folks, it's the heartstrings. Sometimes it's the, the number yeah. or financial impact. Um, and I, li- I like to yeah. talk a lot about that broader vision. Nothing nothing drives me crazy crazier than attending a charitable function and nobody from the board or staff actually speaks to why we're all there that evening. I have literally attended a yes. very nice dinner <laughs> uh, with some wonderful meal and, and desserts and, and music and there's actually no case made. <laughs> You know, but but when you wow. do, right,
1: <laughs> when somebody. Osmosis doesn't always work. <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: And and I think in their defense, they were between directors. But that just shows that educating your board and arming your board to share those stories yes. is so important as well. The board was present. Yes.
1: And the stories more and more are what's important. I, I know the business side is critically important. And we have to have the finances in a row. But the stories are really what, what people turn to if you really give them a real life experience of some what's happened to somebody in their life because of what they've right. done, it just means everything.
0: Well and you mentioned people, right? That's why we're doing this. One of the taglines in our in yes. our intro for this podcast is we're about changing communities, you know, a better future, that vision yes. uh, of change. You know, that we're nonprofits ever since the sixties and seventies when that exploded in this country was uh, they're change agents. And we may not always agree with yes. the direction of some organizations, but, you know, through that public support test and through that, that philanthropic gift, um, folks are casting their vote for a theory of change uh, that they believe in yes. for their community or their cause. What do you think, um, Sandy, you, you mentioned that donors can drive those partnerships, right? Donors can influence an organization that they support to be a better nonprofit partner business partner community partner uh, what other expectations do you think donors have along those lines or in other ways today that may be different from the past
1: well i think they really expect you to to have your to have the business side you know when when i started if you said something about where you worked to be in a business it was oh it was a horrible thing to say it was it was a slander uh, to say that you operated like a business you just want to be anything other than a corporate business but people expect that these days they expect you to have um, they expect you to need money but they expect you to know how you need it and why you need it and where you need it and it's important um, it's a big responsibility. Um, I don't always know as much as I want to know about the finances of, of the organization I work for. It's very complicated, but I try to learn as much as I can. And I always turn them over to somebody who knows more if they have specific questions sure. because they, uh, they really do inquire a lot and want a lot of information, which is totally different from when they just would write you right. a check.
0: Right. So that accountability, that transparency that you mentioned as being a shift uh, from the 70s today, you know, I like to also mention a lot of these uh, national organizations and websites, you know, Charity Navigator, GuideStar, Independent Sector, maybe more of an advocacy, but it's an an educational arm for the nonprofit world. But I think those play a very important role. Better Business Bureau has an arm. Absolutely. Because I think folks, folks like us, also get very frustrated when we see problems in the nonprofit world and the headlines that that generates right (laughs) it's it's not good for us if somebody in a different in your case a different um habitat chapter you know it's going to affect you whether it has anything to do with you or not right or a different red cross or a different united way i remember seeing this after hurricane Mm -hmm. katrina there were some problems in a few areas and uh that was yes. right about the time that Sarbanes-Oxley came out for business. Um, I was in graduate school mm-hmm. at the time, and we had uh, the president of independent sector uh, lectured at Indiana University, where I started my degree. And they said, you know, if we as a nonprofit sector don't regulate ourselves, if we don't keep ourselves accountable, transparent, mm-hmm. and and fix the problems in our organizations, then we're going to have a Sarbanes-Oxley for nonprofits, you yes. know?
1: Somebody Somebody's going to regulate right. <laughs> us if we don't
0: regulate ourselves. I thought it was right. a great point, you know. And-
1: I happened to be working at that particular time for an organization that had um, centers around the country uh, that worked with disabled adults and children, depending upon the center. And in the corporate office, we actually had that as one of our um, marks in our, uh, in our overall planning to adhere to that as closely as possible because we knew yeah. that it would come if we did you know, right
0: didn't. right well sandy thank you so much for the words of wisdom i hope this is not the the last time that we get to talk
1: I hope uh so too. I've enjoyed kind of talking it in front
0: of our unknown audience right and and letting them <laughs> listen to the conversation and 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 as always uh, for our local listeners we encourage you to email in uh any questions that you may have uh, Jason and I have both given our emails in various forms in the past. Uh, I will uh, send you to nearmancoaching at gmail.com. That's N-I-E-R-M-A-N-N Coaching at gmail.com. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, um, maybe we can put you in touch uh, with Sandy or with Jason if you have questions uh, for them.
1: Absolutely. Happy to.
0: But I will close us out. Uh, we've had a great conversation, Sandy, about impact, about accountability, collaborations, partnerships, donor expectations. I mean, gosh, you've, you've hit all the high points of today's nonprofit <laughs> world, uh, which, is, which is so on target. So hope that's been helpful to our listeners. And uh, with that, uh, we will see you later. Thank you for listening to NP Local.